Luke 19 is unusual. Unusual because none of the other writers tell us about it. <clears throat> At least not the whole story. Luke lays it out. And this morning as we go to the triumphal entry, I, I want to get us past Palm Sunday. Luke puts a spotlight on Jesus. You'll find it there in verse 41. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And this is what he said. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone on top of another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father, please... Please withhold your wrath long enough for those whose hearts are hard and are missing Jesus to be saved. You have no covenant obligation. There's nothing that causes you to do that except your sheer grace. For every person here that is a believer, Father, I pray you give, give great confidence as we hear the words of our King Jesus. For everyone that is still dead in sin, please call them, Lord. Please do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've been praying and thinking and searching all week as to how to get at this passage. How do we deal with Palm Sunday? What do we do specifically with chapter 19 of Luke? And, and more specifically, with the passage that begins in verse 41 and comes down to verse 44 because there are four gospel writers and only one of them, Luke. Only one stops and says, you need to look at this. Palm Sunday is peculiar. It's hard for a preacher. It's, it's peculiar in the life of the church. We are not driven by a liturgical calendar as the free church, but we do recognize the last week of Jesus' earthly life, and Palm Sunday is unusual. 
I mean, we have some clarity. Next Sunday is Easter. We have the resurrection. Before that, Friday, we have the crucifixion. But the triumphal entry is confusing. Because the picture, in, in Luke chapter 19, you can go back and read it if you like. Luke chapter 19, the picture is of the Lord Jesus riding on the foal of a donkey into Jerusalem. And as he does, the people are praising the Hosannas. He rides into Jerusalem with the praise of the people in his ears, but tears of sorrow in his eyes. What's happening here? It's, it's incongruent. This does not feel like a triumphal entry. <clears throat> Let's pick up the story as believers in exposition. Luke chapter 19, Luke takes us to the very last week of Jesus' earthly life. He takes us to the very final journey of Jesus into the holy city prior to chapter 19. He's given us this beautiful, I love the book of Luke, I almost preached it this year. I may do it next year, but, but Luke gives us this beautiful story of Jesus that's inspiring. And here in chapter 19, the pace starts to pick up. You get to verse 28. And Luke says, he went up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem, the city where the sacrifices are made for God's people. And now Jesus goes up to Jerusalem where the last sacrifice is made. The sacrifice that would reconcile God to man. We have been reconciled to God by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But, but, but all of that, all of that is days away. In this passage, the people don't know what they don't know. What they do know is that there is a lot of excitement. Everybody loves excitement. But Jesus knew that the excitement of the crowds did not correspond to the change in their hearts. It didn't then, and it doesn't now. What a striking contrast when you look at this passage. What a striking contrast to see a weeping Jesus and a happy crowd. Do you, I mean, this is a tragic passage. This is the tragedy of, of, of thinking of what is in light of what could have been. A lot of you have felt that. You felt that, the tragedy of looking at what, what is in light of what could have been. You've seen missed opportunities. You've seen wasted lives. You, you, you've seen the pain of what might have been. This is the story of missing it. This is the story of missing Jesus. This is 
the story of missing the true Jesus, the, the real Jesus. This is the story of missing Jesus and receiving judgment. Why? Because the Jews, they, they, they had their own concept of Jesus. And because they had their own concept of Jesus, they actually missed the real Jesus. That, that, happens, that happens so often, even today. People formulate People formulate their own personal Jesus that becomes an idol, that becomes actually another religion. People formulate the personal Jesus, maybe a therapeutic Jesus, an easygoing Jesus, an understanding Jesus, a helpful Jesus, a Jesus that, that knows that this is how you are and receives you anyway, even an activist Jesus. And, and all of those are fake Jesus. And you miss the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the holy, righteous Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. The real Jesus is the one who died on the cross in the place of sinners as a substitute, taking the wrath of God so that sinners would not have to take it. The real Jesus is who we'll celebrate next Sunday, whom God raised from the dead three days after he was crucified. He ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. The real Jesus is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth and saves sinners. I think this passage speaks to modern... <clears throat> I think this passage speaks to modern Christianity. Because so many people that claim to be Christians have missed the real Jesus. And according, according to the words of Christ himself, judgment happens when you miss Jesus. Judgment. I mean, that's what's here. That's what... What Jesus says here is packed with judgment. I looked at this passage. I've been turning it over and thinking about it and praying through. I had five, then four. Now I've just, I've just whittled it down to three. I want to talk about three things that bring about judgment. Those three things are, are the, the mission of Jesus and then the, the, the compassion of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And if you miss any of those things, the mission and the compassion and the mercy then you, you find yourself under, under judgment. So here's the first point, number one. <clears throat> judgment, ha judgment happens when you miss the mission of Jesus. Judgment. How do you stand under the judgment of God? It's when you, when you misinterpret, when you miss the mission of Jesus. You see him there. Notice it with me in verse 41. Notice what Luke tells us in verse 41. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and very clearly Luke says, and, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. When he drew near, when he came near. You read the, the narrative of Luke and you find him over and over again using that phrase to, to show uh, pressure, to show pace, that phrase, drawing near. 
Luke is calling our attention and fine-tuning to say, okay, this is something you need to pay attention to. Here's intensity. Here is intentionality. What you have here is, okay, this is Palm Sunday. What you have here is the triumphal entry of the king into Jerusalem and the city, Jerusalem, failing to receive the king on his terms. We don't, we don't take Jesus on our terms. We receive him on his terms. In fact, he talked about, he talked about you didn't know what's going to make for peace. That is the terms of peace. You, you don't know what it's going to take to bring reconciliation. They hosannaed Jesus. They praised Jesus, but they never actually believed the mission of Jesus. Let, let us not. Let us not fall. Let us not fall into the same rabbit hole of confusion that claims that every single thing is a gospel issue. If everything is a gospel issue, then nothing is a gospel issue. Now, certainly we believe that if the gospel has changed you, then that change is going to affect everything about you, but everything does not become a gospel issue. Let us not take away from the intensity of what the gospel is. You read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find out that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Why did he do that? One purpose. Paul boils it, down, boils it down to us in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He gives us the gospel in short form. The gospel in short form, verses 3 and 4 of that chapter. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. The gospel issue is that we are dead in sin with no hope and God saves sinners by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I guess that's the first thing I just, when I read it over and over again, thought it through. The people in the text, I mean, just missed it. I don't want you to miss the mission of Jesus that Jesus came to save sinners. Why? Because judgment. I mean, there's, you, we'll get there, but verse 43 and 44 is filled with horrific judgment. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed to such a degree that it is said that you could have run a plow all the way through Jerusalem and not hit anything. Judgment happens when you miss the mission of Jesus. Let me give you something else to consider. <clears throat> That's a little bit of a short point. Let's, let's make this one a little longer. Number two. Judgment happens when you miss the compassion of Jesus. Compassion. Look at it and look at it carefully and read it slowly. Get the scene. The, the singing crowd, hosannas, the, the palm branches. As the singing crowd comes up, up top of the mountain, the Mount of Olives, I've been there. You can look down over the city. You see the, the city of Jerusalem spread out below. That same mountain where Jesus is weeping is the same mountain that David, when Absalom usurped, when David 
left Jerusalem barefoot with his hair hanging down, weeping as he goes up the mountain. Here, Jesus, the new and better David, weeps as he goes down the mountain. As the crowds come up top of the, as they, as they crest the hill and look down over the city, the sight of that city, in verse 41, the sight of that city hits Jesus with a wave of emotion and compassion. Why is Jesus crying? Think with me just for a moment. Think with me. Think with me about the great tenderness and compassion of Christ. Think how tender and compassionate he is towards sinners. He, he knows who's down there in that city. He knows that Pilate's down there. He knows that Judas will be down there. He knows that the Pharisees will be down there. He knew the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and yet, he, he knew their cruelty, he knew their self-righteousness, he knew their arrogance, he knew their stubbornness, he knew their prejudice. In addition, he knew when I go down this hill, I know what's going to happen to me. And yet, knowing every bit of that, Jesus wept for doomed sinners. Doomed. Read the story. They're doomed. That word wept, you might want to circle that word wept. <clears throat> this is not the same word that John used when he talked about Jesus standing outside the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus looked around outside the tomb of Lazarus and he saw Mary and Martha and everybody crying because of Lazarus and uh, John eleven thirty five, 35, everybody's favorite verse because it's so short, Jesus wept. It's not the same word. That, that crying outside of Lazarus, it is compassionate, but it's the kind of uh, tears that show up when you're, you're talking, but you know good things are, are coming. This is a different kind of, of, of weeping. <clears throat> You don't see this. Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus wept like this in the garden. We don't even know this in the Gospels. Hebrews looks back and talks about Jesus with, with loud cries in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But none of the Gospel writers talk about him crying like this. Luke brings this stark word. This is the same word that Luke will use to talk about Peter. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and, and he caught eyes with, with, with Jesus and the text says that he went outside and wept bitterly. Same word. Wept bitterly. G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher, said, The Son of God in tears, the wandering angels see. Be thou astonished, O my soul. He shed those tears for thee. Jesus weeping, he, he wept over their hypocrisy. He wept over their superficiality. He wept over their, their, their shallowness. He wept over their rejection. Weeping. There, there's, there's so much to do with that. 
It's a remarkable thing to see Jesus because when you read the rest of the story, who he's weeping over, Jerusalem, they're all doomed. I'll give you a couple of thoughts about weeping. A couple of thoughts about Jesus weeping. <clears throat> Here's one thought. Crying, if you've cried in the last 24 hours, or the last 48 hours, or the last week, crying is a gift. Crying is a reminder that you feel that you have a heart. And God uses that. We have a model here. Now, Jesus wept over people. Maybe yours wasn't quite as, as noble, but just the fact that you know how to cry, something to be thankful for. J.C. Ryle, the great um, Anglican bishop of another day, anything you see by J.C. Ryle, you should read it, a great book on holiness. He's written all kind of books. They're, 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 they're clear. J.C. Ryle says that uh, you, you know very little of Christianity if we don't feel deep concern for the souls of unconverted people. We've forgotten how to weep for the lost. We've, for, we've, been, we've been blunted by a society with so much going on. We've been distracted and we've forgotten to actually see people as doomed without Jesus. J.C. Ryle said, you, you don't really know Christianity if, if you don't know how to weep over the lost. And here you have, if Jesus is fully God and we believe that he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus being fully God, showing this kind of compassion. You know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us that it is God's kindness. Not your argument. Not your anger. It is God's kindness that leads sinners to repentance. Here is Jesus weeping over the doomed. Don't let him weep over you. Judgment happens when we miss the mission of Jesus. Judgment happens when we miss the compassion of Jesus. Let me give you a third point. I'll, I'll make this it. <clears throat> Number three. Judgment happens when you miss the mercy, the mercy of Jesus. I could have delineated mercy and then and mentioned grace. When I say mercy, let's go ahead and include grace. Mercy and grace go together. You find it there in verse 41. Verse 41 tells us that he's weeping. So we see that picture. He's weeping in verse 42. And then verse, 40, verse 42 tells us what he says. Listen to what Jesus says looking down over the doomed city. Jesus says, would that you... Even you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Shalom. That word peace, it's, 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 it's ironic. Jerusalem is the city of peace. It even has peace in the name, and yet they wouldn't receive the peace of God. Would that you would have known the things that make for peace, but look what he says in verse 42. But now, but now, 
they're hidden from you. You read this passage, if you, if you take the two verses, you'll find it ten times. If you read three verses, you'll find the word you. It's interesting that Luke does that. He uses the word you 15 times in three verses, making this a, a personal indictment. Not, not only that, remember now, um, as he looks down on Jerusalem, the holy city, remember, we've had this kind of conversation before back in chapter 13, Remember when, when Jesus lamented over Jerusalem in, in Luke chapter 13? Luke 13, verse 34, he looks down over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and then he describes the city. It's the city that kills prophets and stones those that are sent to her. How often, he says... How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen does her brood under her wings, but you wouldn't do it. Don't you see the mercy of God? The mercy of God that he loves the unlovable, that he, that he loves us when we're in our sin. He doesn't love us when we get our life right. He loves us before that. He, he loves us through the twistedness in our minds that he loves the unlovable, that he beseeches the hard-hearted. When, when Jesus says, if you, even you, he's saying that the mercy of God that is found in Jesus reaches the very worst people. Remember that description? They're the people that, that kill prophets and stone those that are sent. And, and if, if he would love something that bad, he certainly would love every person within the sound of my voice. That there is mercy. That the mercy of God found in Jesus reaches out to the hardest, the most confused, the worst, twisted person that there is. Mercy. You know, you know what mercy is? Mercy is... is is you not getting the punishment you deserve for your sin. That's mercy. It also can be called grace. Grace is God loving us in a way we don't deserve to be loved. They're very similar. But that mercy, now, now look, that mercy has to be on his terms. You see what he says, verse 42? The, the things that make for peace. You don't see the things that make for peace. What is the thing that makes for peace? He's going to the cross to make it so that you can have peace with God. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with people. It happens at the cross. It, it includes repentance. It includes you yielding, you, you, you surrendering, you believing, you, you trusting. The things that make for peace. I, I love the thought of Jesus making peace between God and and man, the, it is the word shalom. It, it, it's the idea of reconciliation. It gives us the ministry of reconciliation. It is a beautiful picture of the church. There's far too much bitterness and anger and hatred in a church when it shouldn't be. It's made for peace. That gets us halfway there. Um, verse 42 ends with an ominous statement. I, I had to think through, how do I preach this? We're going to Easter. It should be joyful, and, and there is joy in that, 
that he gives peace to all who will believe. There's a wonderful picture of compassion and mercy. But this passage, we've got to follow the text. It's, it's ominous. I mean, let me read it. Let's just take it to heart. Verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that had made for peace. You didn't know it, so now or but now they're taken. They're hidden from your eyes. There, it, there is an end to mercy. The, the, I mean, he's talking to Jerusalem. The day of mercy is, is, is gone. The, the, the cup of wrath is full and is tilted over and is going to be poured out. That, it's, a, it's a terrible phrase. Now they're hidden from you. This is willful human blindness that becomes divine judgment. This is, this is God hardening Pharaoh's heart. This is Romans chapter 1. This is God turning people over to their sin. This is the, the disciples asking Jesus, why do you teach in parables? I do it so that you'll understand and so that others, when they hear it, having ears they can't hear and eyes they can't see. I mean, you read verses 34 and 35, I'm sorry, uh, 43 and 44. When you read those two verses, Jesus describes what's going to happen. You can read them for yourself. They are so accurate that most liberal theologians think this was added back in. They, he couldn't have known this. Forty years after Jesus said this, the Roman General Titus came into Jerusalem, circled it up, besieged the city, built ramps, starved them out, and then broke the walls down, came in and completely destroyed the entire city. Do you see why? Why is there? It's there at verse 44. Let me read it. Look at why. I'm going to tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, they will not leave one stone on top of another in you. Here's why. Here's why. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Visitation. This is, this is one way that the Bible describes how God comes and works. This is the idea that Moses used when he wrote in Exodus chapter 4, that, that God has seen the affliction of his people and he visited them. This is what Luke uses when he talks about Zechariah and Zechariah prophesies about Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and he says that this one, Jesus, he will bring the tender mercies of God. The tender mercies of God will, will visit us. This is the word that Luke used in Luke chapter 7. Jesus goes through the, the town of Nain, and there in that, there in that town is a, is a widow whose son has just died, and Jesus raises that, that son from the dead, and, and Luke tells us there the people realize that God has visited. Here in Luke chapter 19, Jesus, with tears in his eyes, 
says judgment comes when you miss him. And I wonder if history will repeat itself in you. The time of your visitation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. God visited you and someone witnessed to you. God has visited you when a parent wept and prayed for you. God visited you when a Bible was given to you. For some of you, God visit, visited you when a tragedy sobered your heart toward him. God is here and he is known in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ lived perfectly in our place. He died on the cross in the place of sinners, paying for all the sins of every sinner that will ever be saved. And God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. And now the invitation is that you can be saved. You, you might even, with your, with your head bowed, want to ask God, God, save me based on what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Judgment happens when you miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Father, I pray for every lost or confused person that by your spirit you will draw them close. I pray for every Christian here that our hearts will be warmed and strengthened by your word. Use us for your glory. Help us to trust you. Be honored with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.